in a world where jobs are how most people make money. One man, one desire, one challenge dares to break the mold. Welcome to the Old Dogs REI Network, where we don't work for money. Money works for us. Coming soon. Viewer discretion advised. Welcome to the Old Dogs REI Network, where cash flow is king. Real estate investing, the means, so you can enjoy your retirement dreams. This is the show where we cut right to the chase. No sales pitch, no long monologues, just simple how-to real estate investing advice, so you can earn the passive income you need to enjoy your retirement today. And now, your host and chief old dog, Bill Manassero. Welcome to the Old Dogs REI Network. I'm your host, Bill Manassero, and this is the show where 50-plusers and anyone else who wants to join us get solid, no-sales-pitch real estate investing advice to help generate real cash flow. This podcast airs twice weekly on Mondays and Fridays, and if you aren't already a subscriber, go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, type in Old Dogs, spelled D-A-W-G-S, Find our podcast and subscribe. Well, we got a great show for you today and looking forward to. We're going to be covering an area that is when you understand this area, you can reap great benefits. Uh, so our guest is going to hopefully explain that to you clearly and, and what it involves. And uh, I know we're all interested in saving money. So um, who I'm talking about here is Eric Oliver, and uh, he holds a Bachelor of Applied Science and Accounting from Westminster College. Prior to uh, joining his company, uh, Cost Segregation Authority, Eric was an operations manager for a multi-million dollar landscaping and design firm in Long Island, New York. And uh, since heading west and joining Cost Segregation Authority, Eric has been speaking at local, regional, and national events. He brings with him a passion for identifying cost savings and educating commercial real estate owners on the benefits of cost segregation. Well, Eric, welcome to the Old Dogs REI Network. Hey, thanks for having me, Bill. Hey, it's uh, great to have you on. And uh, uh, I know you're out there in beautiful uh, Salt Lake, right? That's uh, a beautiful, beautiful part of the country. Yes, most days it is. It's actually snowing today, which is unfortunate. But... <laughs> oh, really? You got a snowstorm going there. Wow. Yeah, especially because it was 75 last Saturday. So most of the time it's beautiful here, but we'll take a few snowstorms. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, this is the time of the year. I've been hearing that from everybody. They'll say, yeah, it was like beautiful outside. You know, we're all out there getting tan. The next day, you know, we're fighting snow. You know, it's like, right. gee, <laughs> what is going on? Well, it's uh, getting ready for spring. I know that's it's coming here. So, but uh, yeah, uh, maybe you could just kind of give us a little bit of your background. I know we kind of covered it in the bio there, but uh, you know, just more on a, on a personal level, you know, how you got involved in uh, the cost segregation industry. Sure. No, that's a great question. So my background's uh, in accounting. Um, so when I was in college, I 
did everything I could to get out of college quickly. And math always came fairly easy. So I decided to get a degree in accounting versus science or English and never really did anything with my accounting degree. Um, Ended up in business development. That job took me to the East Coast, lived in Virginia for a number of years, and then Long Island, New York for a number of years. And was looking to head back west to Salt Lake and came across this job um, where I'd be able to use my accounting degree as well as some of my business development experience. And so uh, at the time, I did not know what cost segregation was myself. And so did some research on the company, did some research on cost segregation and thought it was a great tool um, that was really underutilized in the marketplace. And so um, decided to join the company about six years ago and have been loving it ever since. Like you had mentioned, um, part of my responsibilities is to go around the country and teach both CPAs and investors on some of the benefits of cost segregation. And so I've uh, been doing that for a number of years, really enjoy it. Um, got to meet some great people. And like I said, love doing what I do. Uh, that's great. That's great. Well, uh, maybe we can start here. Just, uh, you know, we have covered this topic in the past, but, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to hear your your definition. I think it's one of those areas that does confuse some people here and there. And, and what exactly is cost segregation? Sure. So cost segregation, really, what we're trying to accomplish is to accelerate your depreciation on your real estate assets. So when you buy let's say a multifamily, you get to depreciate that over 27 and a half years. So just to make the math easy, let's say you paid 275 for it, you would get a roughly a $10,000 write-off every year for the next 27 and a half years against your income. So if your income is 100,000, instead of being taxed on 100,000, you're only taxed on 90,000 because you have this $10,000 paper loss, we call it, which is depreciation. And so cost segregation, the goal of cost segregation is just to accelerate those deductions. Instead of taking 127th every year for the next 27 years, what if I can front load that and take a good portion of that in the early years and maybe take a little bit less in the future years when, you know, I may not own the asset in 27 years. So give me my deductions today uh, versus in the future. There's a number of reasons why you would do that, Bill, you know, time value of money, uh, hot word right now is inflation. You know, inflation is going like crazy. And so a dollar today is worth way more than a dollar in the future. And so accelerating those deductions is key. And the way that's done, Bill, is through an engineering-based study where when you buy a multifamily, let's say you buy a uh, fourplex, you're not just buying the walls and the land. You're also buying the driveway. You're buying some countertops. You're buying some cabinets, some appliances. And all these items can be segregated out from your original purchase price and put into shorter term assets or different buckets. For example, the IRS says carpet should be depreciated over five years, not 27 and a half. But the problem is you don't know when you pay 270 for that fourplex, you don't know how much of that 270 can be attributed to the carpet you just bought or to the appliances you just bought. And so that's really what we do is we come in and segregate your cost into those different buckets, which allows us to then accelerate those deductions. So you'd look at the carpet in a in in a fourplex, for example. Uh, maybe it's you know it was put in a couple of years ago, and you are able to come up with a with a cost for that or current cost. Is that is that what you would uh, or part of what you would do? 
Yep, that's exactly right. So we come in, you know, if you don't do cost segregation, you buy an asset, you take that closing statement to your CPA, and they put that building on your depreciation schedule and depreciate it over 27 and a half years. When you've done a cost segregation study, instead of just having one asset on there that says building, now you have, you still have building on there, but now you've got a line item that says carpet. You've got a line item that says appliances. You've got a line item that says concrete for the driveway and the sidewalk. And so by breaking all those up, our deliverable back to you guys is, as the investors is a new depreciation schedule that has all these line items broken out with the attributed cost based on what you paid for it. So we break up that 270 purchase price and put it into those different buckets and provide you a detailed report on, you know, how much, when you bought that fourplex, how much did you pay for the carpet that was in there? How much did you pay for the cabinets and the countertops, all the different components? Now, do they have to have the, the receipts for those items or, or you can come in and uh, assess the cost without the receipts? No. So that's that's really what you're paying us to do is put the value to those. So Got we it. work with both new construction or existing buildings. But you think, let's say you bought a, a fourplex that was built in 1980. You know, you don't you don't know what the cabinets were when they originally went in. And so that's what we're hired to do is to come in. And we use some costing software and some modeling to put values to those cabinets and say, okay, you paid 270 for the building, but really of that 270, 20,000 of it was for the cabinets. You know, 5,000 was for the countertop, 10,000 was for the flooring. And we break out that purchase price into those right buckets that uh, can then accelerate the depreciation. Gotcha. How finite do you get? I mean, do you look at, uh, you know, the let's say the vinyl planking on, on the floors? I mean, do you look at toilets, uh, um, sinks, things like that? Um, so we, yeah, we look at everything in the building and the, the IRS has already established guidelines on where these certain items belong. So for example, anything in a bathroom gets depreciated over 27 and a half years because the IRS says that in order for it to be a functioning building, it has to have a bathroom. So we don't really segregate anything out of the bathroom, but we do look at things like the flooring is a great example, the, the vinyl planks. You know, different types of flooring have different asset lives. For example, carpet gets depreciated over five years. Ceramic tile gets depreciated over 27 and a half years. And so the way those are established is at some point there was a court case where someone went to the IRS and said, hey, carpet doesn't last 27 and a half years. I'm not depreciating this over 27 and a half years. And so they agreed and said, you're right, carpet only lasts on average five years. So we're going to make carpet a five-year asset. Versus ceramic tile is a lot more durable and could last a lot longer. And so ceramic tile and hardwood floors get depreciated over a longer period than your vinyl or your carpets. And so there's a big a big book that we use um, that basically has everything that you could ever imagine in any building <laughs> line itemed out and tells us what we can depreciate that over based on IRS regulations. So do you also advise your clients, um, you know, regarding decisions? Like I, I know that there's a lot of a lot of landlords right now that are that are just scrapping carpets altogether and putting in vinyl blanking because it's just the cost of having to replace it every um, you know every couple of years. Sometimes it's just yeah. it's ridiculous. Do you come in and say, look, you know, if you're going to do vinyl planking, this is what you're going to be able to deduct um, versus you know, keeping the carpet and, uh, and so that they can make a good 
you know, financial decision as as well as, you know, just a lot of us are just looking at the turnover expense, but um, but there might be other advantages or disadvantages on the, the cost segregation side. Yeah, no, absolutely. So especially on new construction, Bill, we like to get involved early. And I'll just give you an example. When you're constructing a new building, if you get an invoice once that's completed and the invoice isn't very well detailed out. Let's just say that it says finished woodwork or finished carpentry. And it has a number. It says you spend $100,000 on finished carpentry. Well, finished carpentry could be door casings or it could be crown molding. And both of those are treated differently from an IRS tax perspective. Door casings should be depreciated over 27 and a half years, where crown molding can be depreciated over a shorter period. And so we like to get involved early on in that reconstruction process or the the remodel process or the construction process to help identify what materials are being used and to make sure that they're broken out on the invoice correctly so that we can maximize the deductions that we can create by doing the cost sake study. Now, I've heard that makes more sense to um, do cost segregation where you've got to, uh, maybe a larger asset, you know, like it, like an apartment building, uh, you know, maybe a hundred units or something of that nature, as opposed to a single family home. Um, is, is that true? Um, you know, that's one of the, the, the questions we get most often. And I think there's some misconception. I don't know if it's misconception or the answer is it has changed. And so when cost segregation first came out, um, it was really geared towards large commercial buildings, like you said, big apartment buildings, hotels, casinos. And that was for two reasons. One is the cost of these studies was, you know, ten dollars or $15,000 a piece. And so you would have to have significant tax savings to shell out that kind of money for a report. Um, and the second thing is, is that the, the results weren't as good as they are now. And so there was a, a tax law change back in 2000, the end of 2017, beginning of 2018. Um, it was called the, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And that was Trump's overhaul of the tax provisions. And, you know, as we know, Trump is a real estate investor. He owns real estate. And so the, the tax provisions were very favorable to real estate investors. And so part of those provisions were something called bonus depreciation. And bonus depreciation takes cost segregation and puts it on steroids. <laughs> and so, you know, we talked about how carpet is typically a five-year asset, which it is. But with bonus depreciation, instead of depreciating the carpet over a five-year period, you get to take 100% of those deductions in the first year. Wow. And that's something called bonus depreciation. Um, and so... With bonus depreciation came, it made cost segregation feasible for a lot more investors because the tax savings was more significant. So that's a long way to answer your question, Bill. But to answer your question, yes, we do everything now from single family rental homes up to large apartment buildings, um, to large office complexes. You know, and and the way we look at it is we want to see at least a 7 to 10x return on your investment. So if we're going to charge you $2,500 $2,500 to do a single family rental home, we want you to save, you know, close to $20,000 in taxes um, on the back end. And so, um, yeah, so we do, it's worth looking at anything over about $150,000 purchase price, depending on the part of country, um, depending on the part of the country, 
and the land value. So I, I failed to mention, let me back up a second. You don't get to depreciate land. So when you purchase a building, it's your purchase price minus the land value, and that's your depreciable basis. And so depending on where you're buying your properties, if the land value is low and you may have only paid 150000 for it, it still might make sense to do a cost sake study if you're going to get a $20,000 tax savings on the back end. Yeah, this this is news for me because I, I have um, mainly uh, talked to folks that have you know, focused primarily on the commercial, like you said, the, the larger commercial buildings and um, where they're, they're probably it will be significant savings but uh, the study itself is yeah it'd be it seemed like it'd be cost prohibitive to take it to the single family market but it sounds like you guys have found that uh, aspect in you know and how to do that and uh, with some of this bonus depreciation it seems like the savings could be significant uh, uh, to I mean to offset significantly that uh, study um, uh, that you have to do in the beginning. So um, that's that's pretty neat. Yeah, yeah, it is. Bonus depreciation is extremely powerful. Um, and just so you're aware, and so your listeners are aware, but bonus depreciation does start to phase out starting in 2023. Mm. So the bonus depreciation provisions, anything bought between September 27th of 2017 and the end of 2022, so the end of this year, is eligible for 100% bonus depreciation. Anything bought in 2023, it drops to 80% bonus depreciation and then 20% less every year after until 2027 when it's zero. Gotcha. Well, that's, yeah, that's, uh, you know, that, that definitely would have an impact, I think, over time. Um, but um, you know, I, I I think there are a lot of people that are listening that are kind of going, yeah, maybe I better move on this, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> it makes sense, you know, um, especially if you you know you've got a new building, a lot of new construction going on. I mean, just it's just crazy, um, you know, just the folks I'm I'm talking to out in the field, and and we're looking at moving, and um, you know, the Tennessee area, and uh, just tons of new homes going up all over the place. Um, so I, I would think that there'd be Quite a, quite a bit of advantages there um, for for folks that are in that phase, um, let alone you know people that are doing just a, a rehab or a renovation. Um, what what would you say are, are so, so the, you know the the biggest mistakes that people do that you know maybe are looking for the tax savings or depreciation, but maybe going about it in the in the wrong way. Uh, yeah, I would say the biggest thing is is just not getting. Um, an estimate. So most cost segregation companies will give you a free benefit analysis where we'll look at the property and let you know what your expected tax savings would be. And so, and sometimes investors aren't aware of that or their CPA doesn't notify them of that. And so I think two things. One is if you own real estate and you're paying taxes, definitely look into cost segregation because you may be able to save significant tax dollars. Number two is um, it's extremely important as you start to grow your real estate portfolio to make sure that you have a good, solid real estate focused CPA who's not just a tax preparer. There's a big difference, Bill, between a tax preparer and a CPA who sits down with you quarterly and goes through tax strategy on how to minimize your taxes. Um, you know, and a lot of us, you know, myself included, found myself paying 
you know, just to have somebody prepare my taxes. And what they're doing is they're just taking the data that I get them, you know, my W-2 and my K-1s, and they're just running it through their software and it's spitting out a tax return on how much I owe. And that's a very different profession than somebody who is a tax advisor who sits down with you and says, hey, you know, you've got this tax bill. What have you bought this year? You know, what do we need to buy this year to offset this tax bill? Because at the end of the day, Bill, you're going to spend the money either way, whether you're sending it to Uncle Sam or you're putting that money back into a new investment property that's going to generate long-term wealth. Um, you know, the answer seems clear to me. Obviously, you want to put it into real estate if you can. And so having a tax advisor in your corner who's advising you and making these recommendations is extremely important versus just hiring a CPA who prepares your taxes. Those are, I just want to make that clarification, two different things. That's a great point. And, and I, I think a lot of people don't know that um, there are companies like yours that offer a, you know, a free assessment up front um, and, be, you know, before pre preparing some more detailed survey um, yeah. that uh, they, they would, that would be able to give at least a good ballpark of what the savings would be. And then I'm sure you probably give an idea of what the survey will probably run as well. And um, so they can sure. make that, that decision, but um, that's, that's a great advantage. That's a huge advantage. I, I would say, you know, so people could know, Hey, you know, this is, uh, this is well worth the cost. If um, you know, if, if you can see some significant uh, numbers there, that's great. Yeah. And we don't, you know, we don't ever want to engage somebody for our services if they're not going to see significant tax savings. That's a, a lose-lose for all of us. And so that's why we run that analysis. We are, oftentimes will get on the phone with the CPA because we want to get a, a clear understanding of their tax situation and what their tax liability looks like to make sure they can absorb these deductions. You know, you don't want to do a cost segregation study and create a massive deduction if you show, you know, you're operating at a loss this year because we're just going to make that loss even bigger and you're not going to save any money and you're going to have to pay for a study. And so that's why it's important to, you know, have your CPA provider or uh, your cost segregation provider partner with your CPA and make sure that you can actually benefit from these deductions. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's that's why we run the analysis. Uh, what would you say, maybe give me an example of some, you know, a success story of somebody who, really saw a significant benefit uh, by doing the cost segregation study. Sure. So there was a, a gentleman we worked with in Louisiana, and he had bought two fairly large single-family homes next to each other with the intent of turning them into residential-assisted living. And so um, when he bought them, they had both of them had tenants renting the properties. One of them had a three months left on their lease. The other one had six months left on their lease. So his plan was to let their leases expire. And then he would uh, go in, renovate these properties and make them residential assisted living centers. Well, because they had tenants in them when they, when he purchased them, technically they were considered to be in service or in use the moment he signed on those properties. And so what we did is we went in and did a cost segregation study on his original purchase, so we went in and put a value to all the cabinets, countertops, the flooring, etc. He was able to take those deductions, and then when he kicked the folks out who were living there, once their lease expired, and he went in and renovated, he spent significant dollars renovating and adding more bedrooms and more bathrooms. 
At that point, we did a second study or a supplement study to identify all the things that could be accelerated on his rehab. And essentially, he was able to take and accelerate the depreciation on two sets of cabinets and two sets of flooring for each of the homes. And so his savings was substantial, um, which is a little bit different. If you're to buy a vacant building, for example, and then you go in and renovate it, well, the original cabinets, when you bought it, because it was vacant, they never were considered in service. And so you don't get to take depreciation on that. But because of his circumstance, there was already a lease there when he bought it, even though his intent was to gut it and turn it into a residential assisted living, he was able to accelerate the original cabinets plus the new cabinets that he put in and, and basically um, take depreciation on two sets of cabinets. And so um, his savings was substantial. And when we did that, there's something called, without getting too far into the weeds, there's something called a partial asset disposition, which essentially said that when he removed the original cabinets to replace them, he was able to write off the remaining book value as an expense and he never had to recapture those tax or those that depreciation. And so, um, again, significant tax savings for for that gentleman. He thought he was just calling to do a one cost sake study. I'm like, wait a minute, these are already in service. Let's do a cost sake study on the original stuff that's in there, plus a second cost sake study on the renovations, and we'll get two for one. And so that's what we ended up doing. God, that's great. I didn't realize you could do that. I mean, it's another another area I wasn't even aware of. And and I imagine that would offset his, you know, his rehab costs, which I'm sure were significant, you know, converting it into a, you know, assisted living uh, facility. But man, that sure. that is, uh, that's great. I had no idea. That's, uh, I'm learning a lot here. This is great. Well, you know, we have a lot of folks that are, that are listening that are you know looking at real estate investing as a means to be able to help them in, in their retirement years and um, and our focus is cash flow primarily. We're looking at ways to be able to help people generate additional cash flow in their retirement years and to be able to leverage their funds that they have their nest eggs um, for maximum return to last for the longevity of their lives and uh, so. Um, what you know, just from your knowledge, and and as these people are looking at real estate investing, you know, seriously as a, as a means to help, um, what what advice would you give them from your standpoint uh, that should be something they should take into consideration uh, moving forward into real estate investing? Yeah, so you know, right now with the current provisions regard around depreciation and cost segregation. Oftentimes, you can get a good portion of your down payment back um, by doing a cost segregation study in the first year. So, um, you know, and obviously, I know you've, you've talked about leveraging debt on your on your shows before. But if you were to, let's say, buy a million dollar asset and you put twenty percent down, you know, you're coming out of pocket two hundred thousand. But we're doing the cost segregation study on the full million, and so. Um, we typically segregate around 30%, which means you're going to have roughly a $300,000 write-off in the first year that's going to help offset that $200,000 down payment. And so when you take $300,000 deduction, times it by your tax bracket, you know that could be a $90,000 tax savings at a 30% tax bracket. So of that $200,000 you put down, you might be getting $90,000 back in the terms of tax savings by doing a cost segregation study. And so being able to leverage debt 
um, is huge, especially, like I said, with the current provisions around depreciation, because you're not, we're not doing the depreciation on your down payment. We're doing the depreciation calculations on the purchase price. And so when you're only putting 20% down, we're still doing the cost sake study on the full million. And again, that, you know, has the opportunity to get a good portion half or, or maybe even a little bit more of your down payment back in that first year. God, that's a great strategy. I love that. That is really smart. Um, that uh, especially, you know, as people are looking to, you know, maybe get into larger properties and you can see that uh, savings even amplified, I imagine, which is fantastic. Wow. Well, it sounds like you've got a, a great business going here with a, a lot of advantages, um, especially for the art community, which is, uh, you know, folks that are that are involved in real estate investing and uh, uh, in many different levels. Um, um, what, what, what sort of, uh, you know, your plans uh, for the years ahead here and what excites you about the future of what you're doing? Yeah. So a um, couple of things. I myself didn't own any real estate um, when I started this job. And I've been fortunate enough to see the power of real estate and see the tax advantages of real estate. And like I've mentioned before, you know, we all have to pay taxes, but if we can reduce that, the tax code is written in order to incentivize us to do certain things. If you go look at the tax code, there's all these benefits if you are to start your own business, if you are to employ employees, if you are to buy real estate. And again, the IRS does that intentionally to drive their initiatives. And so the tax code is just a tool that the government uses to drive initiatives. And I'm excited to, I've actually started investing in real estate myself. Um, you know, I go to conferences across the country. I get to hear all the latest and greatest. I get to work with both CPAs and real estate investors in all different aspects of real estate. And I've been turned on to the power of real estate and I'm excited to, to start my own real estate journey. Like I said, I've got um, a couple of properties now and, and hope to continue to invest in some larger stuff down the road. But um, that's really my focus is is looking at how to build that long-term wealth. Um, you know, because I, like most of you guys, don't want to work until I'm 80. And so how do I start strategizing now in my mid-40s to make that a possibility to be able to live, you know, a, a good life once I retire? So that's what I'm focused on. That's great. That's great. Well, uh, are there any other things that you think uh, our, our listeners should know about regarding uh, cost segregation that would be helpful for them? Um, you know, there's one, one more thing I'd like to add, Bill, and that's something called depreciation recapture. That's a question we get quite often. Um, and I'll try and touch on that without going, again, too far into the weeds here. But um, when you sell an asset, you have to pay two types of tax. You pay a capital gains tax and you pay a recapture tax on the depreciation you've taken. And so remember, for the last 30 minutes here, I'm saying, hey, let's accelerate these depreciation numbers. Let's get these deductions in the early years. And people will often say, well, Eric, don't I just have to pay that all back when I sell the asset? And the answer is no, not really. Um, what ends up happening is you take your deduction against your ordinary income of, let's say, 37%. And when you sell that asset, you're paying it back at 25% max, um, oftentimes even less than that, even at capital gains rates of 15 or 20%. 
and then you save the spread. And so, again, take your deduction at a high rate, pay back a portion of it at a lower rate at a future date, and save the spread. And I'm just going to back into how that works here real quick. But think about this, Bill. If you don't do cost segregation, and let's say you buy a $500,000 asset, and five years later, you sell it for a million. Okay, the market's great. It doubles in value. You sell it for a million. Well, you don't get to keep that money. You have to give a good portion of that to the IRS. And when you go to settle up with the IRS, you're telling them that everything doubled in value. Right? You bought it for 500, you sold it for a million, so everything doubled. The walls doubled in value, the land doubled in value, and so did your dirty old five-year-old carpet. Well, that's not the case. Carpet doesn't double in value over time. Carpet goes down in value. So by doing a cost segregation study, it allows you to allocate your sales price to the right buckets so that you're not paying a gain on the sell of your dirty old carpet. And so that's one of the added benefits is, you know, not only do you get to have the money for the five years because you accelerated your deduction, you took that tax savings, you went and paid off debt or you bought a new property, but also on the back end, when you sell that asset, you're not going to pay as much tax as you would have had you not done cost segregation. And so, again, I know we went a little bit in the weeds there, but if you could just remember don't sell your carpet for more than you bought it for. That's essentially what we're doing. And if you don't do cost segregation, that's exactly what you're doing is you're selling your carpet for more than you paid for it. And we know carpet doesn't go up in value. Carpet should go down in value. And so um, that's one of the, the areas that recapture that we get questions on quite often. And um, so I just wanted to touch on that real quick. Well, that, that's a great tip. I, that's something, again, <laughs> that I did not know. I mean, I think that anyone, and I think there's a, a number of people listening that are in the process of selling or considering selling, that this, uh, I, I always equated cost segregation to something you did with a new property. Either you were just buying or something you're rehabbing or you just bought this huge apartment and um, so you're getting ready for your, you know, your taxes and your deductions as, as you go into the years. But to think of doing a cost segregation study right before you sell a property is, the, this is the first time I've ever heard that. And um, I, I, I think that's an incredible that 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 uh, tip alone is invaluable, especially for, for so many people are selling right now because the market is so hot, and uh, you know they are making these tremendous gains. But uh, I, I just yeah, this is that's that's just great news. That's great news to hear. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's something we do quite often. Like like you said, most people don't think of cost segregation right before you sell an asset, but we work with investors all the time that say, "Hey, I've owned this asset for ten years." I'm getting ready to sell it. What would be the tax consequences if I did a cost seg? And we'll run the analysis and say, you know, you could save 80,000 in taxes upon sell simply by allocating the original sales price, the original purchase price into these buckets. And then, you know, if you sell it in five years, or excuse me, in that example, I said 10 years. So if you sell your five-year assets in 10 years, they're worth zero. They have zero book value. You fully depreciated them after five years. And so there's no need to pay gain on that because they have no value according to the books. And so, again, it's a great opportunity to even upon sell um, to possibly save some tax dollars. And most 
CPAs aren't going to know this, right? I mean, they're not going to even attempt it. Uh, they're just going to go with the things that they know, <laughs> you know, sort of standard right. standard depreciation, <laughs> you know, calculations and so forth. So um, yeah. that is that's great, great information. Wow. Wow, I think uh, you uh, just pretty well paid your your way here today. <laughs> I think that that is good stuff. Good stuff. Well, we're uh, coming near the end of our podcast. We have a, a segment we call "Wrap It Up," where I ask you a series of quick questions, and you give us a, sort of a you know quick responses. It's like a light lightning round type uh, thing called "Wrap It Up." And if you're ready, we'll go ahead and uh, uh, start asking questions. Sure. I'm ready. All right. Uh, favorite real estate book? Tax-Free Wealth by Tom Wilwright. Yeah, I got a copy of it right in front of me right now. <laughs> <laughs> Never gets too far from me. Great, great book. Um, how about uh, favorite just general business book? Um, that's a little bit tougher. And I'm not going to remember the title right now. Um, oh, Good to Great. Um, oh yeah, yes, great, great book. Yeah, it's excellent. How about a, a valuable website that you use uh, for business success um, and on a regular basis? Oh, this isn't a very exciting answer, but one that I'm often on is IRS.com. Um, <laughs> oh, that one rocks, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not the most exciting read, but I'll tell you what. There's from, a new form uh, out. As a, <laughs> as a real estate investor, there's a number, there's a lot of good information on there. And so, and actually with their search function, it's quite easy to find. So um, I always check there. You know, I, I belong to a lot of real estate forums on different social media platforms and whatnot, and I'm surprised at how much misinformation is out there. And so I always will go back to the IRS website and try and find the actual provision or the code. And it's not as boring. Well, it's not a great read, but it's an informational read that um, is easy to read. And usually they spell it out in pretty layman terms. So um, that's a website that I use just about every day. That's excellent. Um, how, do you have a favorite app, something on your phone you use on a regular basis? You know, I, I do. So one thing that, um, and this actually relates to a question we get quite often is to take advantage of some of these tax provisions, it's helpful to be what they call a real estate investor or uh, excuse me, rep status, real estate professional on your taxes. Right. And so when you file your taxes, you have to put on your taxes, um, what your occupation is. And if you put that you're a full-time real estate investor, the laws kind of change and allow you, it's kind of the golden ticket. It allows you to take advantage of some of these deductions even more so. And so there's an app on my phone that I use quite often. It's called, it's called reptracker.com and it tracks your real estate hours. And so that if you were ever audited by the IRS, you have a, a, a log that shows what you were doing, when you were doing it, you can add pictures. Um, so for those of you out there who are looking at becoming um, real estate professionals for tax purposes, it's a great app that I would recommend. And, and what's the hourly uh, requirement per week uh, to become a real estate professional? Sure, you've got to do 750 hours a year, which is just over 14 hours a week. Yeah, and that's, and not, so, that, that's not that hard. Yeah, it's uh, No, yeah, yeah. it's really not. And so if you have a full-time job, it becomes a little difficult because two of the tests, there's two tests to qualify. One is the 750 hours, but the other test is you have to spend 51% of your working time doing real estate. And so if you have a full-time job, you're spending 40 hours a week. 
it's hard to to justify to the IRS that you're doing 41 hours as real estate. And so, but for those of you that have part-time jobs or you maybe have a spouse that stays home, you know, we see that quite often. We work with professionals where uh, maybe they have high W-2 doctor income. And because of that, their spouses are able to stay home. Well, the spouse becomes the real estate professional, manages their vacation properties, and then they get, can use those deductions because they file a joint tax return to offset their W-2 doctor income. Mm, great, great. Yeah, great so. I like that. Um, I, first time I've heard of that app. That's fantastic. <laughs> There's an yeah, app for I'm everything. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced right. of it. <laughs> that's great. How about a favorite quote? It's not what you make, it's what you keep. And I can't, I don't even know who said that. I've heard that quote multiple times. It definitely applies to real estate. You know, if you, you can make significant money in real estate, but if you're paying significant taxes, it's all for nothing, right? And so being able to reduce your tax liability um, through understanding of the tax code is, is very important. So I've always liked that quote. It's not what you make, it's what you keep. Great, great. And this uh, final question here, if you lost absolutely everything, all of your assets, and you had to start all over, knowing what you already know, and you only have $1,000 in cash, what would you do with that $1,000 to relaunch your business? That's a great question. Um, I would, and this is a totally obscure answer, but <laughs> there's something that I'm fascinated with and it's, it's, it's the internet arbitrage. And so, you know, I listen to a gentleman on a podcast and he talks about it all the time where you can literally make $200,000 a year through internet arbitrage, meaning you can go to your local department store and buy stuff on sale and turn around and sell it online for significantly higher than what you paid for it. And so it's a, it's a grind, but you literally could, you could make very good money with this rate arbitrage. He does a lot of garage selling, the gentleman I listened to, where he goes to garage sales and he has an app on his phone where he scans products to see what they're selling for on eBay. And, you know, there's a, a huge uptick in, in the same product being sold for different prices across the internet. And so the internet's a very powerful tool. And just because it's on sale here in your market, doesn't mean that it's it's on sale in another market or in another country for that matter. And so um, I would probably take that thousand dollars and go garage selling if that is a correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Hey, that's a good one. I like that. That is great. Wow. Well, this has been fantastic, Eric. Some good stuff. And uh, just uh, I, it opened up some avenues and cost segregation that I, I didn't even know about. So, uh, for me, it was a, it was especially, uh, a treat here. So, so thank you so much. Uh, I'm sure there's people listening to that, that want to find out more and, uh, more about your company, more about you. Um, what, what's the best way for folks to reach you, um, to, you know, find out about maybe they have questions about cost segregation, or maybe they have a, you know, the building they want you to uh, take a look at. Sure. Um, so, um, the best way to reach us is through our website. It's just www.costcostsegsegauthority.com. Um, my contact is information is on there. Um, please feel free to use this as a resource. You know, we don't bill by the hour. We're kind of a niche accounting firm where cost segregation is all we do. 
And so if you have any questions or your listeners have any questions on cost segregation or depreciation or real estate taxes, we're happy to help in any way we can. Um, we've got a number of CPAs here on our firm. And um, if I don't know the answer, I can usually get the answer um, regarding depreciation. So please feel free to reach out to us on our website. Um, also on our website, if you guys have properties you would like us to look at and run an analysis for, we'd be happy to do that free analysis to give you an idea of your expected tax savings. Um, again, if you're paying taxes and you own real estate, um, especially in today's climate, um, you know, it's worth looking in. Please use us as a resource. Now, if they don't live in the, you know, Utah area or what have you, you can still do that? Yeah. So we do studies in all 50 states. So Okay. Um, I didn't realize yeah. that. That's great. Yeah. Excellent. Well, fantastic. Well, uh, gosh, Eric, this has been uh, great, great information and uh, really, really appreciate it. Uh, we have a tradition, though, on this show, and uh, we uh, are called the Old Dogs REI Network. So uh, we have all our guests close us out with their best old hound dog howl. Now, I know there's <laughs> got to be some hound dogs in Utah out there, you know, we got hunters yeah. and people, right? <laughs> 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 so, so are you ready to close us out here with your best old uh, hound dog howl? Yes, I'm ready. All right, give it your best. All right. How that was good. That was good. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Everyone in the office is looking at me like I'm crazy right now, by the way. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I like to do that. I just, I just think more of it about my personality or something. I don't know. <laughs> They're wondering why my door's closed and I'm in here howling like a dog. They don't know what's going on. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on, Eric. This has been uh, been a great show. A lot of good information. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And like I said, uh, please feel free to reach out. If you have any questions, we want to be a resource for you and your listeners. So thanks for having me. I uh, appreciate it. I also want to thank all our old uh, dog listeners out there, too, for joining us. I know there's a lot of other things you guys could be doing, but the fact that you've taken the time to join us means a lot, and we really appreciate it. Now, please note, old dog listeners, everything presented here today it can be accessed in our detailed show notes on the Old Dogs website at olddogsreinetwork.com forward slash blog and you're going to look for the episode with eric oliver well that's the show for today remember cash flow is king and real estate investing the mean until next time keep moving forward and may god bless thank you very much for visiting the old dogs rei network we would greatly appreciate if you would stop by itunes and let us know what you think of the show we would love if you could subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star rating, and write a review. The more ratings and reviews we receive, the more visible the podcast will be to others. Thank you.